Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called a podcast. And we are out on that line. We're back for another episode. And this week, we're going to be talking a little bit about Prince and a little album you may have heard of called Purple Rain. I'm Jeff with my co-host Alex. As always, Alex, how are you doing this week? Electric word, Jeff, podcast. That's a mighty long time and it means forever. But I'm here to tell you about something else. The afterworld. A place of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun, day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, Dr. Everything is going to be all right. Instead of asking him how much of your time is left, ask him how much of your mind. Because in this life, things are much harder than the afterworld. In this life, you're on your own. And if the elevator tries to bring you down, go crazy. That was completely unplanned and one of the most magical moments in my life i appreciate you for that sir i wasn't sure i wasn't <laughs> sure if you were gonna do it and i was like i do have it memorized so if he teased me up i'm going full bore and we didn't do the whole thing i went uh step on in here and join the fun and uh off to a hot start i'd say for this one <laughs> yes sir off to a hot start. and certainly no chance i was gonna recite that whole thing <laughs> Nor would I have been able to if I had planned on doing so. So I appreciate you for stepping in there, coming in clutch, bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded down by three, and to the moon you went. That's very much appreciated. So this week, and we've we've always been Prince fans. We talk about him all the time on this podcast. And to be honest with you, when I suggested doing an episode about the Purple Rain album, I was for sure thinking that we'd done it before and we've just done so many of these that I've started to forget which ones we have done. And I searched through and lo and behold, we have not done this album yet, which is crazy. Given the the historical albums we've done, you know, as far as ones that either one of us has liked or that we both used to listen to a lot together, like a meatloaf or an against me or somebody like that. This was very exciting for me to find out because Sometimes we're reaching a little bit for content as far as new albums that come out, anything like that. But this is exciting because this was a big one for us. Yeah. I mean, it goes all the way back to tormenting Rory with it and playing it 26 <laughs> times in a row until he woke up. Um, yeah. No, this is what one might call this a glaring omission in terms of things that we've covered on the show. But we're here to rectify that today. Um, so when did you first become truly conscious of Prince in your life? Probably like college, I would say. Um, I started to, so through high school, I would listen to some, you know, what you'd call classic rock, like Aerosmith, Deep Purple, but it was definitely more on like the kind of harder rock side. I didn't really listen to a lot of anything else unless it was just kind of random stuff on the radio. Um, of course, you know, you'd hear like 1999, you know, you'd hear Let's Go Crazy because they play those songs at events. And, you know, it's a lot of Prince songs are very upbeat, you know, very danceable. So they get played at events where you want that sort of vibe. Um, but I think it was when I heard Purple Rain for the first time, or I guess the first time that I really registered hearing it. Um, that's when I realized that Prince was different, um, that I didn't realize the talent, the depth that this man was willing to go to to make something make art make an album whatever it was he was producing at the time it seemed like it he was more of a conduit than he was a creator um, it just seemed like these ideas came from somewhere else somewhere ethereal somewhere that 
I, as a mortal human being, did not understand, but was being privileged enough to be able to listen to it. Um, and Purple Rain is phenomenal, incredible. I don't care what Rory says. We were doing him a favor when we played that song 20-something times in a row <laughs> in the morning. It was The sun was up, okay? It was late enough in the day. It was perfectly fine to set those speakers right next to the bedroom door that he was in and turn it up as loud as we could. And he'd come out, he'd stomp his little feet and he'd come out and he'd turn it off and we'd run right back up there and turn it back on again. And uh, just a seminal moment in our friendship for sure. Thanks to Prince. Truly, we we waterboarded Rory with purple rain and I regret (laughs) not a goddamn second of it. Um, And I think you're right. Like what I honed in on in that was as a conduit, as a creator, as a talent. The thing that in particular Purple Rain represents to me is this evolution. Uh, It's something similar with David Bowie. It's where you started and where you ended up. Because, you know, David Bowie started out kind of that psychedelic, kind of very British rock, and then moved into glam rock, and then moved into what can really only be described as David Bowie. It was the same kind of thing for Prince, where he was... I hesitate to say generic because there's nothing generic about his voice, but I think his presentation when he started as like a soul R&B singer, you could tell that he was talented. You could tell that he had a great voice, um, but it it wasn't necessarily like a standout. It wasn't necessarily like a jaw dropper. And then as the albums went along, you started to notice this creative facet kind of opening up because when you start in the recording industry, the easiest thing to do is put you in a box, right? Even if you have a brand new sound, it's like, we have to find a way to market this. And I think Prince went from being very marketable and safe to experimenting with his sound and gradually becoming a phenomenon. Get it out of here from the beginning. He is an otherworldly guitar player. An otherworldly guitar player. If you haven't seen the video of him and Petty and uh, Jeff Lynn from ELO playing While My Guitar Gently Weeps, immediately go and look that up. And that was something that wasn't really showcased early on when he was like more of a soul act. And Purple Rain really was the album that was the turning point, I think, where things really started to change. And we'll get into some of the Sonic stuff that happened. But Mm -hmm. I was fortunate, like my first exposure to Prince, I was a youngin. And my mom has low-key great taste in music. She'll never talk about it, but she does. And she had a bunch of cassettes and left to my own devices. I would listen to them. There was a bunch of prints in there. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then you get older and you're like, wow, yeah, I remember that. Same thing with Meatloaf, Car Rides with Meatloaf. And you're like, oh, oh, shit. The older I get, the better and better this stuff kind of gets and Mm -hmm. your appreciation grows. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of excited to to get into the details of this one. Yes, and the emphasis cannot be stated enough for how good of a guitar player he was mm-hmm. you know and, and i think at the time that he was alive from probably the last i don't know 35 years of his life i guess he was probably the once stevie ray vaughn died prince was the greatest living guitar player until the day that he died um it's just unbelievable what the range that he was able to play like he could do your full you know, just straight up, straight ahead blues rock guitar. If you needed him to, he could do metal. I mean, he could do jazz guitar. He could do everything. And the sounds that he would get from his guitar is things that you talk about with legends, you know, that you can hear. There's plenty of people that are great 
great guitar players, but they don't do anything distinct enough for you to remember them for anything other than if they were part of a band that you like. People like Jimi Hendrix, like Chuck Berry, like Eddie Van Halen, like Prince. It's technique, it's the sound, it's the voice they get from that guitar that sets them apart. And he was so good at finding ways to, you know, you saw it with, you know, Eddie Van Halen, the way he would use the guitar sometimes as like a percussive instrument instead of as a traditional like finger the frets and play your notes kind of thing, you know, turning it into a rhythm instrument is such a game changer and it allows the rest of the band to really open up. So while you would normally hear a lot of improvisation on guitar from other bands, what you heard from Prince is not only his improvisation and his just sheer massive talent with the instrument, but he surrounded himself with people that were just as talented as him and just as willing to kind of step outside the box. And he oftentimes just, if he didn't have somebody like that, he just did it himself. That was the other thing is not only a guitar player, but he was also could play every single instrument you can think of. He didn't need a band for anything other than playing live, to be honest with you, because he could play whatever else anybody was playing on whatever else they wanted to play it on. He was that good and that talented. And I think that's a also a big reason is that sort of talent is sort of impossible to ignore. Um, while he was, you know, I think you made a great point of when he first started out that you know, being more on the soul side, there are so many talented people with that. There are so many people that can sing as good and better than Prince and Prince is a great singer, but without anything else to kind of differentiate himself, it's easy to get lost in that mix because it's not that he wasn't good. It's because everybody else was too at that particular discipline, that particular genre. When he branched out and made an album like Purple Rain, and you've got songs like Purple Rain and Computer Blue and Take Me With You. Just the sheer variety of sound you get from this album that we're going to talk about is almost unmatched anywhere. I mean, 10,000 Gex, we did that album. And <laughs> it's, you know, that's the that's the kind of thing I think of, though, when I, when I went back and listened to this again, this album for the 100th, 200th time in my life, straight through whatever, however many couple hundred times it is it's so varied in sound it's kind of chaotic but it all works like the chaos makes a great picture you don't understand when you're in the middle of it but looking back at everything you're like this is how does somebody come up with this conceptualize this and then execute at this level and very few people other than prince could do it and it, it is pretty incredible and i think so the first known instance of the Revolution, the the backing band, Prince and the Revolution, was technically on 1999. But I think it's super appropriate here because it's taking some of the seeds that 1999 planted and just kind of amplifying everything. The use of electronic music for someone like Prince, everything leading up to that still kind of maintained that soulful sound, even when it was kind of straying it, it was like the development of a persona and it all com uh, culminated with purple rain and i also think the the fascinating part about this is purple rain is technically the soundtrack to a movie mm -hmm. that movie is purple rain and if you haven't purified yourself in the waters of lake minnetonka i don't know what you're still doing here 
you ought to hop off and go watch the movie. Go take a gander at the album and come on back because it is truly like Purple Rain the movie is a little corny. It's kind of uneven, but it's very a engrossing. <laughs> you know, just trying to <laughs> trying to give the man a little wiggle room. Um, I mean, it's got a classic performance by Morris Day. Morris motherfucking Day. Uh, Apollonia in the mix, a prince protege. It, it's it's a weird, eclectic, cosmic gumbo of a film. Um, but it really was kind of where he solidified his persona. I mean, a lot of people, when they think of Prince, think of the purple crush velvet suit and the the ruffled pirate shirt and all that and the mm-hmm. the like fresh jerry curls and stuff like that. And so not just aesthetically, but sonically, it all came together at the right time. And again, it is the soundtrack to a movie. And as goofy and corny as the movie can get, the soundtrack is that immaculate and perfect and mature but also like willing to get into the sexual themes and kind of experiment with i mean we're talking about you know the 80s here so like a computer blue we're kind of dabbling with like changes in technology and it's not you know it's just kind of interesting to see how he seized a moment and changed the trajectory of his entire career not that it was on a downswing or anything but just like he he moved it to a whole new level again the parallels with bowie where you start off as one thing, you become another, and then you really find, like, what is the classic David Bowie? I would argue, mm-hmm. I know everyone loves, like, Ziggy Stardust, David Bowie, but for yeah. me, the Thin White Duke is really kind of where it's at, mm-hmm. as far as persona. And Prince was someone who played with that kind of stuff in his music, too, where he did take, like, he would adopt kind of a female affectation. There's a song, I mean, Love Sexy is one album like one song um but there's like large stretches of that where he's just having an orgasm as a woman it's just like Ew! and it's all tuned up <laughs> he's just such a weird motherfucker and this was kind of the dawn of prince when everybody thinks about prince mm-hmm. yeah and he like I don't, I don't think it can be overstated the almost like kind of hypersexualization of everything in his music and it's so prevalent throughout Purple Rain, but it there's so many artists that will do that sort of thing. And it kind of, you know, it seems like just weird, I guess. I don't know how else to put it, but you, it doesn't do anything for you. Like Prince, I feel like the way he's so, I don't know, I feel like he, he doesn't take just a typical like male perspective on things you know i think it's i think there's a, a healthy respect for women in everything that he does and and for like treating people well and then recognizing when you're not you know i think there was a lot of that because he kind of came at it from that angle none of it seemed like it was just raunchy for the sake of being raunchy like it all had a point you know and, and while you can't say that about a lot of other music that talks about the same sort of themes that just goes to kind of speak more to the talent of Prince, not only as a musician, which we've gone over, but as a songwriter, because there's like we're talking about what is Darling Nikki. I mean, you want to talk about a song that's like there's no questioning what it's about whatsoever, but it doesn't leave you with a feeling like you can't listen to that song too loud or, you, you know, you don't want people to hear because it's going to be offensive or disrespectful or anything. But those themes certainly 
you know, spoken in another song or, or sung in another song are going to probably offend some people are going to maybe make people think like, oh, this music isn't anything except for that. And I think he does such a good job at how he writes the songs and the perspectives that he uses that you don't ever feel like there's anything other than a story being told here. Well, and I tell you who would disagree with you. I tell you who was extremely offended by Darling Nikki. Let's get into this. Our good friend Tipper Gore, who (laughs) this literally, Prince literally is the reason that parental advisory stickers go on albums now. I mean, I guess Tipper Gore and her husband and this, the parents music, I forget the whole acronym, PMRC, um, but essentially the fun police. So what happened was Tipper Gore, her nine-year-old daughter, I think, asked for the album and Tipper Gore went out and got it for her and then heard Darling Nikki, which for those who are unfamiliar at the opening line, (laughs) I knew a girl named Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby masturbating with a magazine. So Tipper Gore (laughs) hears her nine-year-old listening to this and hits the fucking roof and says, well, we need to protect children. So let's put stickers on albums, which is going to in some ways hurt the sales for certain acts. I'm sure there's there's varying age levels, right? Like, I think only a certain demographic, like, who's going to listen to The Wiggles versus who's going to listen to Pale Face the Orphan, right? So mm. it wouldn't necessarily hurt, like, Black Sabbath, but it was going to hurt someone like Prince. And, if, and your definition of objectionable, Rudy Giuliani said, I don't know what pornography is, but... You know, I, I, or like, I can't define it, but I'll know it when I see it kind of thing. Yeah. And that's a dangerous precedent to set. It's out of the artist's hands. And really what this is, is Tipper Gore was bored and looking for a pet project. And if she had a problem with Prince and the content of the album and her daughter listening to it, why didn't she do even a lick of fucking research? Go into Tower Records or whatever, put it in the little headphones, listen and go, yeah, I'm not getting this for my nine-year-old. There is parental responsibility there that Tipper Gore Mm -hmm. just chose to ignore and decided to start this entire stickers on albums type thing. And I don't want to like drone on and on about it, but you know who got involved in this little dispute was a little friend of the show we like to call Frank Zappa. He went and three people testified before Congress, Frank Zappa D. Snyder and Mr. Sunshine on my goddamn shoulders, John Denver. And Prince did not show up, which I kind of think is a weak move, but I guess we can discuss that. But all of that is to say Prince, I mean, he literally has an album and a song called Controversy. So he's never been afraid of it, but it's had ripple effects into the industry. Mm-hmm. So I think he has always been, I think, kind of shy in the public eye i think um and especially back then i think he was very very guarded about you know himself and and kind of what he was willing to let people know about him so testifying in in open court under oath and and all that was probably fairly overwhelming to him if he found those other things pretty overwhelming but also like you've got d snyder and frank zappa and john denver like he probably looked at it too like am i necessary (laughs) you know it's like do i really need to be doing this and it's and again i think it's one it's you can look at it from this perspective that you know as a leading artist as somebody that's really that this is going to affect deeply you know you should go in and support the cause at least or be there and speak your piece if you can but i also like 
don't think an artist owes us anything. You know what I mean? So, and they don't owe anybody else anything either. If they just want to put their hands up and be like, it goes how it goes. That's fine. You can be feel how you feel about it, but they have the right to do that. I, I think I fall more on your side that I was like, I think the more voices you have there and the more varied types of artists that you have there, like John Denver being there, I think is great because D Snyder was the head of a, in the front man of a metal band. So obviously they were going to be like, of course he doesn't think that this should be outlawed or anything. And then you have Frank Zappa, notorious asshole. So, you know, people are going to choose to take him seriously, whether or not they like him anyway. Um, you know, John Denver is probably your most rational voice there. Prince, who knows what he would have done because interviews he's done like he's a weirdo too like he was a total weirdo and I think a lot of that came from some like social anxiety and being guarded about yourself and if you're kind of deflecting things and being clever you don't have to admit things you know that you really have like personal opinions about or that you feel passionate about or makes you sad or makes you happy or anything you can just kind of be like embody that persona and not have to worry about people really knowing anything about you. And I, really primarily and selfishly, the, the one reason I wish that he had been at these hearings and that I wish I could have been there is I would like to be like, now, Mr. Prince, Prince Rogers Nelson, Mr. Prince, I have a question for you that's been haunting me since I came of age and, and learned what masturbation meant. When you say she was masturbating with the magazine, do you mean she was using it as masturbatory material? Do you mean she was rubbing it on herself or do you mean she rolled it up and used it as a marital aid these uh, mr prince i'm just asking questions which is a literal debate i've had with people they're like what do you mean by masturbating with a magazine i would say well probably using it as material but i see everybody else's point you know i, I don't rule it out that's all i'm saying the I mean the other possibilities are there. That's the in a in a universe of infinite possibility, you can't rule anything out. Correct. <laughs> Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness <laughs> taught me that. So what do you say we get like into talking about some real deal songs on this yeah, baby? Yeah. So Prince and the Revolution in the album The Soundtrack, Purple Rain. Crazy that it's the soundtrack. That's know. insane to so me. So right. Yeah, insane that it's soundtrack. So it starts out with Let's Go Crazy, which is you want to talk about a song gets you pumped up. And that was the song that started like the dancing at my wedding at the reception. So it's like this song has been near and dear to me for a long time. It is just perfect. Is it a perfect song? Am I wrong for saying that? I think it's just so goddamn perfect that I'm not sure there's another one better. Is it a perfect album is another question, too. I would say yes. Yes. Um, I I the, I was slightly spoiled at your wedding because I had the run sheet. Like, giving a speech, I kind of knew it was coming when, and I saw that. Mm-hmm. And I, I was the gif of Robert Redford and Jeremiah Johnson just going, as soon as I saw that. <laughs> and because this is a video exclusive, you do see the reference. Um, <laughs> But it is. It's such a fire starter. And again, as an introduction to like a leap forward in the sound, it, it you're not sure with the narration, which we started the show with, dearly beloved, you know it's going to be something a little different. But as soon as it kicks in with the dan, 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 I, 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 like you could be chained to the wall and you're going to dance. And it's again, it's a seamless blending of, you know, 
we always say it's not Dylan's Masters of War lyrically. The the themes and ideas that it's mulling over are not necessarily, in all cases, like these giant weighty themes to wrestle with. But he knows how to turn a phrase. He knows how to pair it perfectly with the music. And so this just comes out of nowhere and sets the tone, A, for the movie, B, for the soundtrack, C, for Jeff's wedding. Um, and it's just one of those things, too, when we talk about it being a soundtrack to a movie. It's it's an album. It's an album, a standalone album, but it's also the soundtrack to a movie. The only other, like, super successful version of that I can remember before that was Saturday Night Fever soundtrack and the mm-hmm. Bee Gees. It was the first example of vertical integration. You have a movie and you have a tie-in album that can be sold on its own, but you're also, all these things are going to feed each other. If you love the movie, you go out and get the soundtrack. If you love the soundtrack, you got to go and see the movie. You can mm-hmm. enjoy them separately in a vacuum, but really it is all meant to comp- complement each other. And, you know, we have that with toys and stuff like that with Marvel. But this really was, I think, an example of vertical integration that doesn't sacrifice artistry. Like, you can have a Batman movie where it's like, well, Batman needs to fight a giant robot spider because the toy companies want to try to sell that. And he should have a rocket pack and missiles and all this extraneous bullshit that's being dictated by the money, whereas Prince was letting the creativity dictate this and this experiment in his sound. Everybody went along with it, and look what we got today. Yes, it is fantastic. And since this is a soundtrack... What I've always had a problem with is there should be a deluxe version of this that has the Morris Day and the Time songs on it as well. Oh, baby. Yes. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Morris Day and the motherfucking time. Whew. Yeah, no, that that they should. They really should. They should do like a deluxe comprehensive mm. version of that. And I sneaky, and this is something coincidentally the Prince does on the Batman soundtrack which he scored, which I also think is mm-hmm. incredible. Um, snippets from the film. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. And then Party Man starts. Mm-hmm. I like shit like that when it's not like a long, winding, interstitial thing, but just taking a little bit from the movie and like feeding into like uh, Kevin yes. Bacon and Footloose. Let's dance. And then Footloose starts, you know? I love stuff like that. So this is prime for like a... And Prince's estate, notoriously greedy, so, like, the stars align on something like that. Mm-hmm. And we can't forget <laughs> Ludacris in the Too Fast, Too Furious soundtrack <laughs> with the all right, all right, all right, fire him up. We go live in five. <laughs> it's time for ignition and straight up automobile pimping. <laughs> yeah, you you got the points for remembering the entire part of the entire beginning part of Let's Go Crazy. <laughs> Too Fast, Too Furious soundtrack. I got it locked down. I'm pushing them all your way. (laughs) We should do an episode with like the best movie soundtracks. Yes, 100%. I feel like we've talked about this before, but we should absolutely do that. Yeah, that would be that would be a nice a nice easy one, I think. Well, maybe not easy once you dig into it, because there's we've just reeled off the wall by Pink Floyd. I mean, we've just reeled off like so many really good ones. Um, But I think it's to watch the movie increases your appreciation of the songs to kind of go back to what you're saying about it being a like kind of mutual feeding sort of beast when you do something like this um so watching the movie makes you appreciate the songs because you understand the mindset he was in when that song was written 
because he's trying to portray that part of the story in the movie. But it's also going to be that the the songs help you appreciate the movie more because in this movie, while it might be a little cheesy and a little corny at some points, like have you ever purified yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? Like who does that? Prince does that. He's a weirdo. The, you have these truly phenomenal, excellent songs, which if the movie was complete garbage, the songs would would stand on their own. Like they're that good because the movie's pretty good and the songs are fantastic. It just kind of elevates everything. It's like the rising tide lifts all boats and the movie and the songs are both rising tides here. And I would say, I would go so far as to say in the example of Saturday Night Fever, it's an enjoyable movie, but I think if you take that soundtrack out of it, we're not talking about it. We're not talking about John Travolta, you know? Um, so it's just, it's a very make or break type thing. And obviously like Prince had the creative control in, in both directions here. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, so I have a question for you within the context of this album. Do you have a favorite song or songs? I think I'm glad you said songs because you said favorite song and I was like, oh man, come on. Why are you going to do that? But I got to say, I mean, obviously, Purple Rain, obviously, I mean, one of the greatest guitar solos ever. I mean, just one of the greatest songs ever. I mean, greatest, greatest. Let's Go Crazy. Phenomenal. I Would Die For You. Mm. It's probably like right up there for me as well. I mean, this song is just packed full. I guess those three, I'll just limit myself to three. Like those three for me are are the ones. Yeah. I, because I am a devotee of Frank Zappa and a pervert, a big prevert, I love... <laughs> Darling Nikki. Uh-huh. I genuinely love it. And not just like, yes, it's fun to be like, isn't it novel? This the masturbation song. Um, and taking him to a sex dungeon. Like, I I genuinely appreciate that song. Again, it's a great example of storytelling. Um, and just like an expert use of everything that makes Prince Prince. He's got that kind of sexuality to it. We were getting that, yeah, Nikki that like crazy (laughs) vocalization that he can do and it's not just like throwing it out there to throw it out there it's obviously like mm, he's he's sad and gum he's climaxing um (laughs) so again it's like using your voice as an instrument doing the storytelling it's not content to just be like a b a c get the fuck out um so i love the kind of funhouse ride that darling nikki is I obviously you got to give it up for Purple Rain. It's it's such a like time capsule of the 80s. I listened to it and I'm like I was not alive to appreciate this and if mm-hmm. I were I wouldn't have been old enough to appreciate this. But there's just something about it that takes you out of time and out of space to like a moment. And like maybe that sounds a little too woo-woo, but it really is a song like I don't I can't like listen to it in a car. I have to like sit and enjoy it or be someplace where I can dance and move Mm -hmm. because you just fall inside of it. It has this dreamlike quality. It's kind of pulling back on some of the more electronic elements and letting it be more of a traditional fully realized band situation. And that contrasts really well with some of the other songs. I I mean, like I, I, like you said, I would die for you is great. Um, when Doves Cry is great. It was the lead single off of this, but I wouldn't say it's one of my tops no. on this album. You know? Nope. I I I enjoy it, 
but I don't think by any stretch it's the best song. So it's a little, I guess Purple Rain is so long, you couldn't necessarily release it as a single and get airplay. So When Doves yes. Cry makes sense, but I don't see it as the the feature that I think a lot of people do. And I think just because it was so popular on the radio, it really yeah. was. Like that song was massive. Um, certainly bigger than Purple Rain was on the radio at that point. I think over time, obviously, Purple Rain has become the kind of standard that one or let's go crazy or 1999 i think are kind of seen as like the standard prince songs i guess um you know when doves cry is great little red corvette is mm. fantastic as well um but i think those are the ones that are kind of seen as the ones for it um i would die for you is like just such a great kind of like r&b sort of like kind of song like it's very soulful but it's just so good i love that kind of musicality of it like the that little chime that goes do i would die for Mm -hmm. you and it's like the little chime sounds it's just such kind of an upbeat sort of feeling it's a very simple song honestly but it's just the sentiment of it it's just so awesome and purple rain the scene in the movie where he plays that song oh man man oh man what a moment in cinema it truly and like it, it I guess if you want to call it like one of the great movie musicals, I would. I know a lot of people are like, it's not based on an existing musical. You have to, you can only really count like the music bands. And I'm like, fuck that. Like, the, purity has no place in Prince. He's like anti pure. Um, and yeah, it is. It's just, it's pure cinema. And you get it listening to the album. You get it watching it, and you get it listening to the album, too. And I heard the album before I saw the movie. So when I, again, and like as I got older, I'm like, there's a movie of this album? <laughs> I went and watched it. I was like, well, that wasn't great. But I tell you what, it was great in the context of movie musicals. And I love the music in it. And I'm willing to forgive some of the cheesiness because it's not like it's a really bad movie and you have to suffer through it. For the music like that's not the case at all but you do kind of have to place your tongue firmly in cheek for certain parts of it mm-hmm. um but it's just it's such a like a the album specifically is such a touchstone for me uh because of what it led to for prince and what it led to for me like discovering more prince and discovering other music like you really trace the pathway from prince to frank zappa's where does that sound for mm-hmm. me because I was existing on a steady diet of like mainstream radio airplay. I'm not afraid to say I was obsessed with Britney Spears when I was a young lad. <laughs> Pre-discovering my body and discovering women. I genuinely liked the music and I was very stoked on it. And then as you get older, you're like, I think I like this for more reasons than one. Yes. Um, but I didn't. I had like, a poster. I had a poster I wanted at the county fair. God was with me that day. He said, may your dart fly straight and true into that balloon. You know what you're getting. She's got the little jean shorts unbuttoned, folded down. That's, that's the one I had. Fingers through the loops. Jeff. Yeah. We did it. <laughs> it was We were always meant to be. We're always meant to be friends. Like, <laughs> But like, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, my dad would drive around in his Trans Am and we'd listen to Zeppelin. And I'm like, I didn't have that. My dad liked Jackson Brown and the Eagles. I would have grabbed the steering wheel and driven us off the road. 
Jackson Brown, not so much. The Eagles, yeah. 100%. Fuck the Eagles. But I, I, I didn't have that growing up where it was like someone sat you down and was like, I need you to appreciate the things that I appreciate. Which, like, cultivates your... So I kind of got to grow my own musical taste, and it started with Prince. It really, really did. Prince and Meatloaf. Mm-hmm. And look at me now, a functioning adult <laughs> with a brain that's 100% not broken. So look at me now, Dad. <laughs> yeah, everything is everything is totally fine. Everything yeah. is just fine. Oh, I'm thriving. But it's... You know, I think knowing, I guess, what we know about prince and how you you're mentioning that that movie was a musical movie or a movie musical has it ever been made into a musical i feel like he was very much a like whatever creative outlet he wanted to use did he ever do that like make it a stage production man that would make a pretty great stage show i think i think so too i think the hurdle you have to get over these days is his estate i mean they are Mm -hmm. insane i wouldn't i don't think it'll actually happen but i wouldn't be shocked if just having Prince Purple Rain in the name of this video, they're like, yeah, we want to share the ad revenue. It's insane. You can literally be like, perp, and they're up. He did the first (laughs) (laughs) half a second. Yeah, so I would imagine the biggest hurdle would be his estate. Um, Like, like I'm going to a wedding in Minnesota, and the place that we're staying is six minutes from Paisley Park, and I can't go because the tickets are so prohibitively expensive to walk through the motherfucker's house and look at his shoes it's absolutely insane so no it isn't a musical and i think that's the hurdle you'd have to get over but you're absolutely right i think it would you know do matrix money if you did it on broadway you know it's i mean because you think about in the movie like all of the set pieces and everything like the scenes in their house like that's all very easily reproduced and the way that the movie is acted is almost like a theater style of acting as like very expressive, like everybody's like very intense, which is the kind of thing you need to have with theater. And obviously the music is fantastic. And what you could do is all of the, the shots of him, like with a live at a live show on stage, like you could make the actual audience be the live audience at that concert. So you could have these like almost little like fourth wall breaks where they're actually like performing those songs for the crowd as if it's a real like concert and then they get back into you know performing like the acting and stuff for the for the storyline that's a hell of an idea and if you yeah if you use like the band as this kind of live performance slash greek chorus it's amazing and it, it does it lends it's like prince has an innate theatricality to his music that would lend itself to this kind of thing um and it makes total sense that i love it it makes total sense that i found my way to theater later in life um so, like, for that reason, yeah, it it is just, like, such a precious album, I think, in music canon. One of the most important, and I'm not, like, just being hyperbolic, one of the most important albums preserved by the Library of Congress for being culturally significant. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is a landmark album. We could stay here for two more hours and talk about it. Um, I do have a question within the context of his album. Another one for you. If we're going to go one. ahead. Uh, another one. We the best. In the context of the fact that everybody has to acknowledge that Purple Rain is it. I truly do believe it. You might be like, yeah, but there are better albums. It's like, shut your mouth. Shut up. (laughs) We're going with this assumption that Purple Rain is top tier, right? Sean Connery is the original Bond. Everyone can have a favorite after him. 
You can have a favorite bull after Michael Jordan. But you got to acknowledge what's at the top of the pile. That's Purple Rain. For you, do you have an album or albums that are your favorite from Prince? From Prince? I mean, it's this. Purple Rain. I mean, I really like the um, Artificial Age. That was a great. That was a great album. I think you had that one on vinyl when mm-hmm. we lived together in in Texas. So that one got a lot of play. That was fantastic. Um, Nineteen ninety nine is phenomenal. That's probably the only other one I'd consider to be even close to Purple Rain. Um, the self titled is great. That's definitely like the kind of old Prince. You know, the one that wasn't quite making it, but it's like you kind of hear where it was all going to come from later. And it's yeah. So I would say Purple Rain. Easily number one, 1999, probably like somewhat close. They're within shouting distance, number two. And then Artificial Age and the self-titled probably tied at three. Okay, interesting. Because I look at it, you have kind of, I guess, you're more like academic, heady pick. Like there'd be people that would be like, um, clearly it's Sign of the Times. And I would even put Sign of the Times. Yeah intellectually above purple rain it's like we're not talking about intellectually okay it's what do you enjoy the most and for me it's a lot of the earlier stuff because he was prolific he was putting out albums Mm -hmm. like not like you think i mean the only person that beats him for me is king gizzard and the lizard wizard because they made an album while we were sitting here recording this yeah but so he was they probably did I, dude, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be like, surprise, <laughs> Petrodragonic Apocalypse Part 2. And it's a yeah. ballet. But I, but like I, Prince was so prolific that there was such a volume of content and not all of it was good. You're allowed to say that. Yes. Prince made some plops. There were some ploppers. Mm-hmm. But I think it, a lot of like that early run for me is like the sweet spot. Going as far back as prince for you dirty mind controversy um i think 1999 is probably also my second pick my heart pick Mm -hmm. and then a sneaky third i gotta put in there close behind is the batman soundtrack it's a little all over the place but i think the novelty of tim burton directing Mm -hmm. batman with a soundtrack by prince kind of sews the whole thing together Mm -hmm. for me it's just too weird to function and yet it does See, I don't even consider the Batman soundtrack to be a Prince album. It just like doesn't fit in that box for me, I guess. Even though it, it is. Like he's the one that he came up with the entire concept and creation of that of that album and those songs. So yeah, that I mean, valid pick. Just when you said it, I was like, duh, that's that's a Prince album. Wouldn't have even thought of that. And that's Prince, baby, like a voice message that he recorded to his assistant. Go get bread. That can be your favorite Prince album. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's the beauty and the versatility of Prince Rogers Nelson, baby. <laughs> yeah, this is Iona. And I think if you haven't, folks, if you haven't gone and listened to this album, and I assume you have if you've listened to this podcast before and, and take in our, our usual content, you've probably listened to somebody like Prince. But if you haven't, go do it. And if you haven't watched the movie, go do it. You can find it on Blu-ray for cheap, I promise. I, I have it. I think I paid like five bucks for it. Um <laughs> It, it, it's it's just such a great because you I feel like you get that's the best look we've ever gotten at Prince I think is is that movie the best like real look into who Prince was I think comes from that movie you could probably find some interviews and stuff where he might have opened up a bit but I think he was very notorious for not doing that um, so I think him like kind of pouring out his feelings and his thoughts with Purple Rain is really the best look we ever had into who the man was 
and what a monster of a musician what a monster of a man and just truly truly classic album go out and listen to it if you haven't already yeah this is an obvious buy it and jeff and i don't have to do that because we already own it yeah we are. i think i own it like three different formats exactly <laughs> it's all perfectly legal it's um, all perfectly legal yeah you know that's obviously run out run don't walk it's our take yeah that's our take go out and listen to it We'll be back next week with another episode for you. Make sure you're checking that YouTube channel where you're finding this video. Just go go to the regular page. Go check out our reaction videos. Go check out more of these podcast videos. Let us know what you want to hear down below in those comments. And where are they going to find that comment section, Alex? It's you're been a couple f- weeks. We'll see if you still got it. It's been a couple weeks, <laughs> but let me tell you about, once again, a world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun day or night. And that is youtube.com forward slash C forward slash out on that line. Not only do we have full episodes of the podcast, not only do we do reaction videos, but we also have an oft neglected series called Singles. Are you wondering what that's about? So are we. We haven't done one in a long time. <laughs> we also have a series called On the Record, where guest of the show Tanner comes in and we do these kind of like deeper dives into the lore and the stories behind artists and the albums they made. Um, we have a lot of fun over on the channel. Okay, we're always experimenting, coming up with new things to tease and titillate and please your palate. So why don't you come let us put our love inside of you and all over you at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash out on that line. Again, just stop doing what you're doing and listen to me for one second. It is youtube.com forward slash C forward slash out on that line. Okay. 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 Until next time.